0: welcome to The Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of The Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I are back with our spring reading tournament. Each of us have selected eight books that We consider to be the best books that we read last year. We have ranked them from one to eight. So we will have ranked pairings going up against each other. And again, as we did last year and the year before that, we will be asking you to vote for your favorite book. So since we're going to be basically talking about 16 books this week, we're going to get right to it. So you'll have to wait until next week to know what we've been reading. (laughs)
1: Do you want to say what's unusual about this episode?
0: Oh! (laughs) And we, yeah, what's unusual about this episode is that Gail is in New York, so we're recording live for the first time ever.
1: In the same room. In the same room. On the same
0: couch. Oh my gosh.
1: (laughs) It's crazy. Nicole and I have talked every week for years, but we have not laid eyes on each other in a very, very long time. So I found myself in New York today. Doing something with my daughter, and the timing worked out, and we are in the same room. So it's very exciting (laughs) to be together. Okay, so should
0: we start? Okay, so first of all, let's go over the criteria. Okay. So that everyone knows what they will be voting for. So it's pretty much the same each year. I think I'm remembering all of our points offhand. It is, what was the author trying to accomplish, and did they accomplish it? Right. Right. Is this book timely, and will it stand the test of time? Right. And I feel like I said something else before we started recording. Uh,
1: No, I I think what were they trying to accomplish, and then did they succeed? Right. Yeah, okay. So what were they trying to accomplish, did they succeed, and do we think this book will last? Right. Like, in five years, when we talk about this book, will we remember it, and would we
0: maybe want to reread it? Okay. So... First matchup. What's your number one? Okay. So
1: my number one, and everyone will know because I talked about this incessantly last year, it is signifiers by Danny Shapiro. This is a book about aging, grief, families, forgiveness, loss. It is a book about, you know, the passage of time and how families change and parents and children. I, this was like my favorite book of last year. And it, there, it's not perfect, there were some aspects of it too, there was like some sort of new agey part which I didn't love but I the, what I loved vastly outweighed what I didn't and I just found it incredibly poignant and I love Danny Shapiro who is most well known for her memoirs but this was fiction so I, I know I talked about this constantly last year and I've pressed this into many people's hands and have recommended it up and down and You know, among many other good family dramas I read last year, this was the one that emerged the winner.
0: Okay, so Gail's number one is going to go up against my number eight in true tournament style. Tournament style.
1: (laughs) And don't forget, there have been a lot of upsets this year on tournaments, so there can be upsets with this as well.
0: All right, so my number eight is Dear Miss Metropolitan by Carolyn Farrell. The book takes the name of an elderly newspaper columnist who is following the story of three young women in this queen's neighborhood who have been held captive on the same block that she lives in by like this terrible man. So it's told in a nonlinear style. It is difficult reading material. Like I had a hard time going through it, but just the crisis of women being victimized, young women being victimized. There were just like a lot of issues in here. And it just raised really interesting issues about what happens to a community when something so horrific has happened and what level of responsibility people feel and how what happens to the victims. You know, like so many times we hear these stories in the news, but you have no idea like what their lives are like or how they piece their lives together after horrific events like this. And this novel really you know, imaginatively and sensitive, was very sensitive in handling how we look at these women's lives and how they do move on from being in the basement. What do you think she was trying to accomplish with this book? I think that she was trying to humanize women, humanize these women and just take it past, you know, like the headline. And how how do we, you know, we look at people you know, when when traumatic things happen, I think, whether it's through relief of not having experienced it ourselves, or, you know, we kind of distance it. So just to go beyond the headlines and to to know that someone is going to come out of this, and they're going to need tons of therapy, that there is going to be a hospital stay, that their family may not be for them in the ways that they need. You know, those were the things that she got at. The style that she chose to, to tell it in was a little difficult at times, but it was just one of those books that out of the books I read last year just mm-hmm, really made me think and kept, I kept coming back to it.
1: And I think one thing I would say for listeners, we would like for you to vote for these and you don't have to have read the books to have vote, to vote for them. I think that, you know, part of it is the onus is on Nicole and me to make the case. So we know, Which of these books do you think you'd want to read? So, like, how compelling of a, of a case are we making for them? And and is it a timely
0: issue? Do you is it a timely issue, like, right, right. This will be relevant in five to ten years.
1: Right. Does it sound like a book that's contributing to, you know, the larger societal questions or something? So don't feel like, just because you haven't read them, because we don't expect that anyone has read these particular 16 books. <laughs> right. Don't feel like just because you haven't read them that you can't vote. We want to know what is res- sort of resonating with you. Okay, so that is matchup number one: Signifiers versus dear Miss Metropolitan. My second book is another family drama. That's going to be a theme throughout. Okay, I'm
0: already confused. So my one went up against your your one went. To, so my one is going to your eight. Right. Well, so I'll do my two, and now you'll do
1: your seven. And we'll just meet in the middle and then go the other right, other way. Okay. Yeah. Unless you want to do it the other way. Nope. It doesn't matter. I don't think. I mean, unless you feel like you want to front front load the show with the ones you like the most.
0: No, I think we can go Okay. Down.
1: All right. Okay.
0: You're just better with keeping the numbers. Okay. <laughs> so marginally better. <laughs> right. It doesn't say
1: much. <laughs> Okay. I'll start that over again. Okay. So my number two is another family drama, which will be a theme, because... Out of my eight, the vast majority of these, if not all, are family dramas. My number two is Chorus by Rebecca Coffin. And this is another look at a family. And it has family dynamics, multiple viewpoints, shifting timelines. And one thing I loved about this book was the way it was told. So it's really told through a series of vignettes about a big family multiple kids, seven kids, living with a depressed mother who takes her life when the kids are mostly young. And so there are lots of moments big and small that she draws from to tell the story in a very kind of quiet and understated way, but I loved the way she let the different members of this family, the different kids kind of fill in the the story of this family. So, you know, what is she trying to do here? She's just exploring how families are complicated and especially when you have a big sort of you know cataclysmic event in the beginning that really affects the collective fabric of the family and I just like the way she really drills in on these characters sometimes only looking at one afternoon but how that afternoon can paint an entire picture of one of the characters so it's sort of a small story, and maybe in some ways that makes it harder for this book to progress down the you know various levels of March Madness, or whatever we want to call it, Sweet Sixteen. But I just like that even though we're looking at this family through the prism of these individual people, there's just a lot of very universal themes here. Loss, divorce, depression, and yet how people sort of manage to survive those and still find... Joy in their lives.
0: So that's really interesting that you told us what your theme is because I had written down a theme of my eight books because they all also mm-hmm. had a theme. And I was going to ask you that. So my theme is identity. Mm, interesting. All of these books are about people who have gone through something, or there's some there's some inciting incident that leads them on a different path, and they may not be who they are when they started the book. You know, there is a progression. Of identity and or trying to find a sense of identity because of either traumatic events or or just the nature of their circumstances. So hmm. my number seven book is Complicit by Winnie M. Lee. This follows the story of Sarah Lai. She is a graduate of Columbia University and it looks at her life in different time periods. In one, she is a college professor who is teaching her students. She's teaching a film studies class. And in her previous life, she was a film producer. And this story takes place when she's just out of college. This is her first job that she's landed. You know, she is the child of immigrants. She is used to working in her pa- parents' restaurant. She did go to an Ivy League school, and she's eager to prove herself. And she gets involved on a movie set where they where there's certain unsavory things that are happening with other producers who are older much older than she is. The frame for this story is that when she's, you know, she's older and we realize that she has never made another film, like her career in Hollywood was cut short and this New York Times journalist has approached her to to get background on a me too story that he's doing with one of the stars of the film, you know, that was her only film. And I think what she's trying to accomplish, or or just what I recognized in reading this book, was it was kind of framed as a mystery, which I don't like, because I think it took away from the fact that it was like an everyday, every woman type of experience, you know, like when you're really young, and you don't have that much experience, and you're really trying to prove yourself. And maybe you have a sense of right or wrong, but sometimes it can be fluid depending on who's influencing you like what environment are you in you know she's in a film environment she's just trying to follow the lead of of the people who are working on the set with her so i just thought this was just such a great coming of age story you know she's has these immigrant parents that she's trying to you know prove that she that she can be worthy in the film industry you know and that she's not wasting her degree So it's just like all of these elements that you can really relate to and that are so relevant for, you know, I just feel like for any young woman who's entering into an industry where you want to prove yourself and you want to be taken seriously and you're just trying to follow the rules.
1: Mm. Okay. I think it's funny you asked about the theme, and I know I said these are family books, but I think that even beyond family, what the theme that I can kind of thread through the eight that I picked is empathy. Mm. Cause I think that a lot of the books I've picked, the characters are just going through really tough things and whether it's loss or grief or separation or just, just aging and mortality. And I think that the books I've picked the authors, what one thing I responded to was the author's sense of empathy about their characters. So my number three book Again, another family drama, but I think when I think about what I why this book struck me so much, it was that empathy. So this book is French Braid by Ann Tyler. Yet another, you know, depiction of multiple viewpoints within a family. You've got a family in Baltimore, three kids, you followed them over the course of sixty years. The kids grow up and start starting their own families and having their own kids. So there's really no There's not a lot of drama. There's not, you know, crazy things that happen, secrets revealed, anything like that. This is really just about the minutiae and the small moments of life. But what I love about this is, again, that word empathy. She has great empathy for her characters, and your heart kind of breaks for them, each of them, at some point in the book. You know, something happens that you really see life through their eyes, and some disappointment or sadness or something that's happened to them in the course of these sort of just you know small moments doesn't have a lot of action i even when i read this i thought it reminded me a lot of court, and i don't think i'd even read signal fires yet so like clearly that there's a through line of, among these three books but i think each of these ex- authors is really trying to explore like humanity through the prism of families and relationships and i think they all did a great job with it
0: so my next book is Jackal by Aaron E. Adams. This is funny because this is the only thriller type book that made my list. Like I met, I read a lot of them last year. Does it fit your theme? But it does fit my theme of okay. identity. It's about a young woman, Liz, who goes back to her hometown because her best friend is getting married. And that's like the only thing that will bring her back. Her best friend is white. She's black. And they live in this small town in Pennsylvania. And so she makes her escape when she leaves high school. She basically really very rarely comes back. And when she does come back, I think as part of the wedding rehearsal, her best friend's daughter goes missing. And it brings up this time period when she, you know, once encountered something in the woods behind the house. And as she starts to kind of help her friend look for her daughter, she realizes that Over the years, several young black women have gone missing, and it's like never been addressed. But she thinks it's going to be the key to help her find out where uh, her friend's daughter is. So in the telling of this, of this story, it is like racial elements. It is, I guess, surviving an all white town. When you're black, there's like, elements of black excellence come up and it is about her blending to her identity, seeing if she can bring her sense of self that she has developed in her years away from this town to her life when she is back within the confines of this town and the rhythms of this town. And it's also about her reaching out more to her roots in the black community to find more about these other women who have gone missing, to find out more about their lives. And so in a, in a different way, Dear Miss, Dear Miss Metropolitan had such a like a realistic folk. You know, it wasn't a thriller. This this is a thriller. And there was a supernatural element. But, you know, I can't spoil it. But there were just certain things that evolve as she's trying to look for this. Whoever took the whoever took the little girl. How can I say this without giving it away? I don't know. You would just have to read the book. I can't say it without giving it away. But it it was just a very poignant story, and it made excellent points, I think, about being black in white America and navigating those relationships and navigating a town and experience when the town is predominantly white and what it means when you're black.
1: Hmm. Okay. Number four. So this is my number four. We're going to go up against your number five. This book, again, one that I talked a lot about last year, is called Home Stretch by Graham Norton. And this is a book about, it opens in the 80s in a small town in Ireland, and it opens with a car crash. And so in the car, there were six people, and three of the people are killed, and three are not, three survive. And of the three who are killed, two are a bride and groom who were supposed to be married the next day. So... The book is really about the aftermath of this car accident, who caused the car accident, the people who were in the car, the people who survived, the people who died, the tracks them for decades to come. And so there was the driver is a boy named Connor who feels so guilty over the accident that he basically flees Ireland and moves to New York. And you kind of follow him through his life in New York and then you also go back to the small town in Ireland and go back and forth to see what's happening. This isn't like a super literary book. Graham Norton is actually like a late night talk show host in Ireland. He's kind of the Jimmy Fallon of Ireland and but he's a really great writer and what I liked about it was again so much empathy for his characters and he really sort of helps you see everybody's perspective and you know, understand why they did what they did, how what happened affected them. You know, there's not a lot of sort of black and white. There's lots of shades of gray throughout here. And, you know, it's just a great, deep, meaty read about just dealing with trauma and grief and guilt and a little bit about authenticity and identity as well. So I really love this one, and I thought he told a great story with this one.
0: Okay, so my next book is More Than You'll Ever Know by Katie Gutierrez. I love this book because it had two strong main characters, both women, and one is a young woman who's starting out in life. She has a troubled background that she's hiding from her fiancé. She's a true crime writer, and she becomes very fascinated with The story of this woman, Lore, and her tragic circumstances. She is basically a bigamist. She has a husband in Texas, and then she also has a husband right over the border in Mexico. They meet, and her Mexican husband is killed, and there is a mystery at the heart of this that Cassie would like to solve. But as, of course, she's investigating and she gets Laura to talk to her about events in the past. There's a lot of similarities between the women. So the major themes of these books were, or this book, is family relationships. It's identity. It's finding yourself. It's having the courage to face your past, to share yourself with someone. And just finding yourself if you don't feel like you're in the right circumstances I think Cassie's really fascinated by lore because she is willing to take two sides of life for herself. Like she's willing to, to start another relationship to complement the relationship that she's in. So there's all of these interesting relationship dynamics and and it's about facing your past, which can be a very key component with identity. I think these issues, I think that she she set out to show, you know, how a woman can have appetites the way that a man can. And, and it's about how do you navigate the balance in showing respect for your family and showing respect for tradition, but still allowing yourself to step into who you really are. So I think she accomplished that with these, (laughs) with these, with these
1: women. Okay. So I am now at book my book number five which will go up against your book number four four and this one is not necessarily a family drama but it is sorrow and bliss by meg mason which is a book about mental illness so in this one you have martha a british woman who's approaching 40 who has struggled with mental illness since she was young so she's married to a very kind and patient man but When this book opens, they've basically decided to split up because the situation has just become completely untenable. Because she is so sort of, her life has become very difficult and challenging because of the the dysfunction of her mental illness. The mental illness is never actually specified in the book. I think the author specifically did not want to identify a particular set of symptoms and a particular illness. She wanted to sort of speak more generally about mental illness. And I think it's, again, a super empathetic portrayal of someone really struggling with what it's like to be, you know, so in lack of control, have so little control over emotions and, you know, be kind of such a prisoner to this disease. The character is very entertaining in some ways, and she's very funny and caustic, but you, at the same time, you really feel for her and that's where this empathy comes in again and makes you really sort of get you, get your own head into her head to see what it's like to be somebody with that type of disease. Yeah. I mean, I think what she was trying to do here was really humanize mental illness and just make the experience one much more universal than just the people who, you know, actually have this particular or, you know, some particular well-known disease. And I thought she really succeeded with this one.
0: So my number four book is Win Me Something by Kyle Lucia Wu. It's really funny because I, this is not a book that I would have thought would have made it just from when I read it at the time. But it's one of those books that has stuck with me. And I think that she really did a good job in, in painting the portrait of this young Mixed race woman who is trying to find herself in her early or mid twenties. So it's the story of Willa Chen. She's biracial Chinese. She grows up in New Jersey. Her parents are both divorced. They have like she has step brothers, not step half brothers and sisters from these other relationships. But she is just adrift. So she takes a job as a nanny for this white family. And she lives with them in in Tribeca. So she gets a chance to see what their life is like. And it fuels, I guess, her sense of alienation in a way. She's alienated to begin with. But I think it deepens it just to be able to see the way way she's positioned with this white family in the world makes her question a lot of of where she wants to go, what she wants to do, so it's a big coming of age and identity story. Usually I have issues with characters who are kind of apathetic or don't have a lot of agency, <laughs> but I just feel like the you know the the telling of this was I mean it was kind of infuriating. I did have a little bit of those moments, but there were just so many more other just poignant moments that are forming how she is, how she sees herself or how she would like to see herself, even though she's not quite able to get it. So I felt like the author just really captured the atmosphere and just had these really subtle moments where you just really get into her experience. Some of the issues are just common to anyone who's trying to find themselves in new jobs when they're young. When they, you know, don't necessarily have a a path, you know, she's kind of aimless. But then there are also things that are just really specific to being a mixed race Chinese woman and, you know, how she is viewed by the family that she's living with, the friends that they have over, you know, like microaggressions that she faces, like how she's trying to navigate that. So it was just a really poignant coming of age story You know, so there's issues of family and race and belonging. And I don't think that those issues are going to be going anywhere anytime soon. And this was just really well rendered.
1: That's the only book of your list that I've actually read. Okay. Moving on. My number six is, this is the one that I think perhaps least, well, no, I would say there's two of them that don't necessarily fit the category as well as the other ones, but I think you can... Shoehorn it in a little bit. This one is called This Time Tomorrow by Emma Straw. And this is a time travel novel about a girl who keeps going back in time and reliving her 16th birthday. She's in real life about to turn 40. But she sort of discovers this portal, this place where she can go near her father's house. And when she goes into this portal, this special place, and falls asleep, she wakes up on her 16th birthday. So she keeps going back and reliving this one day over and over again. And the reason that she wants to relive this day is that she's hoping to figure out a way to change the present day because in the present day, her father is very sick and dying. And so I, and there's a lot of stuff I don't want to give away because there's some kind of complicated things that come up later in the book. And, you know, I just I don't want to ruin that for anyone. But really, it's a book about you know, again, the fleeting nature of life and the impossibility of spending enough time with the people you love. And so, you know, the ways we try to sort of stop time, change things, you know, turn the clock back so that we don't have to face the sort of consequences of of the passage of time. I liked this one. There's, I love the relationship that she had, Alice had with her father. They were very close, there was not a lot of conflict between them. We did This book does not need lots of conflict or drama. There's her best friend with whom she shares this 16th birthday over and over again and in whom she confides about time traveling. And there's no conflict between her and her best friend, which is kind of refreshing because a lot of times I think books try to stir things up between friends. And so really without those, you know, kind of typical sources of conflict what's really, the book is really more just about kind of the challenges and and the, and, and her kind of going back and, and understanding her father's decisions and how he got to a point in his life where he is so sick. So I really like this one. Emma Straub is hit or miss for me. Sometimes I like her and sometimes I really don't. And this is probably my favorite book that she's written.
0: Hmm. You make that one sound so good. Hmm. I think you you like time travel books. I do, as we've discussed it many times. (laughs) All right, so my next one is Little Secrets by Jennifer Hillier. It has a very high suspense level in this book. It's a missing child book. Marin and her husband, Derek, their marriage is basically falling apart because their five-year-old son was kidnapped when she went to the mall. And she's basically just been in her grief and has let things go. But she snapped back to life when she finds out that Derek is cheating on her. And she feels such rage at the young woman with whom he's cheating. So this was, I mean, a lot of emotion. She has a best friend that she confides in. They had kind of had a thing in the past. So there's just lots of emotion in this book. I thought what was really well done about it is that She, even though her main character comes to the conclusion that she wants to hire someone to take care of Derek's mistress, it's more about just like the grief and the rage that she's feeling. There are scenes where she is attending a grief group. She is not put together, you know, she's not holding it together. She has a business that she really needs to be on top of that she's created. You know, she has a hair salon, so she's trying to go there. But at the same time, she's never given up on looking for her son. So there's just like lots of issues in terms of what goes wrong in a marriage when it is like rocked by something so devastated as a missing child, you know, the grief of missing that child and missing the milestones and... And not knowing whether he will make it back. The effect that it has on their relationship, you know, outside of Derek's cheating, just how she hasn't been able to keep herself together. So it had all of these really poignant themes that even though it is a suspense novel, and you are wondering, will she find her son who is responsible for taking him? It was really just it of all of these little moments of Trying to put your life back together, you know, blame that you might experience, you know, blaming yourself or you're thinking your husband is blaming you for what has happened. You know, the fact that she was with him when he was taken at the mall. So it just explores all of these different avenues of a parent who would be in that situation. And I just always enjoy or and think it's important too. To see, I guess, the flip side of when someone's life is unraveling, to have a realistic portrait of that, as opposed to just, you know, glossing it over, she really gave us that experience. Okay, so what's next? All right, so
1: my number seven is A Town Called Solace by Mary Lawson, another family drama, and this one, Empathy is very strongly on display, so in this book, it takes place in a small town in Canada, and you have three characters with intertwined lives. You have a girl, a seven-year-old girl whose sister has run away. So she's living in a house where no one's really paying attention to her because her parents are so distracted by trying to find her older sister. Her next-door neighbor is a much older woman in her 80s whose Clara, that's the girl, is taken care of. But that woman is now in the hospital. And in declining health and then there's a man 40 year old man who comes to live in the house he's been kind of bequeathed the house by the woman in the hospital but it's unclear what the relationship is between the two of them and so he starts to interact with the little girl who's coming to feed the cat so you've got these three characters who are all in a lot of pain and you the author kind of slowly teases out their stories so you start to really understand like, you know, why where is this what's the source of this pain and how are they dealing with it? So there's this is a very, very this is a book where there's lots and lots of empathy because you're, you know, really starting to understand who they are and getting into the heads of these different characters. And there's, you know, the title is called A Town Called Solace, which is in some way I don't love the title. It seems kind of cheesy. And I do think like it's not that subtle because like these three characters obviously find some semblance of solace in each other. So that's kind of a very unsubtle way of expressing (laughs) that. I think I would have come up with a different book. It's also one of those book titles that you can never remember. But again, not a flashy book, not lots of drama, not lots of, you know, plot twists and crazy things, but just a moving story about, you know, a simple, sort of a simply told story about lives that are intertwined
0: all right so my next book is blacktop wasteland by s.a. cosby and it is the story of a mechanic who used to be a getaway driver he's raising a family with his wife he has a daughter who was from another relationship and he is the support for his family he gets himself into a bit of a bind the business isn't doing as well a competing business opens very, very close to him. And so he's really feeling the pinch. And I think what puts him over the edge is that his daughter needs money to go to college. And he wants her to escape this small Virginia town where, you know, they don't have a lot of means. He really wants to give this to her. And the only way that he can get himself out of the hole in his job as a mechanic, and to get the money for his daughter to go to college is for him to take this one last job as the getaway driver you know and he
1: (laughs) you know where that's going
0: yeah he just once he does this job that is going to be enough to put him on the straight and narrow and of course everything does not go as planned it goes horribly wrong and there are this is a very high octane book but at the same time it it really just highlights the working class and how hard it can be especially if you're a black man in Virginia to make sure that your family stays working class, you know, they don't have a lot. They're just getting by with his job, with his, his garage and his job as the mechanic. And so there's, there's a strong race racial element that was interesting to see. And it's also in terms of his identity, like he has carved out this identity as a family man but he really feels alive when he's driving the getaway car. So how does he reconcile those two things? And so he has to come to decisions about who he is, how his lifestyle affects his family, and who he wants to be. Such a good book.
1: Okay, so as you've probably guessed, we're getting into Nicole's, the top of her list. So these are the ones that she picked out as the strongest of her eight, and we're getting to the bottom of my list. So these are the ones that are... The weaker in my opinion.
0: But you're still making a good
1: case. Well, let's we'll see, <laughs> we'll see. how so many we're books supposed I to have do it. Okay, so my last book, this is number eight, and this one, like, almost didn't make a list. In fact, I think I had another one in slot number eight, and then I, I took it out and put this one in. And this one is Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, <laughs> which is probably the only book on my list that you've read. Yep. And probably the one that most people listening to the show have read, probably out of all sixteen Potentially, this is probably the one, I don't know. I don't but the thing is, that book is so beloved, it could probably take out my number one. There could be an upset here. It could be an upset. So I put this on the list because when I was looking back on the books I read last year, this one did actually really stand out in my mind. I remembered it really well. And despite whatever sort of frustrations or limitations. I thought it had it, if nothing else, it was extremely memorable and I thought it was a good story. So this is the book about the partnership between a boy and a girl who grow into adults and basically form a creative collaboration where they launch a video game company together. And it. Tracks them for many years, kind of ups and downs of their friendship, the ups and downs of their company, exploring the nature of creativity, collaboration, competition, unrequited feelings, you know, romantic love versus friendship. It's a complicated friendship between these two. And, you know, what I guess I thought was most interesting about the book was just how she really does explore that relationship and the ups and downs of it i also thought it was a really creative book just she conjures up these you know very complicated video game worlds although did you see recently somebody has sued gabrielle zevin saying that she used her video game as the basis of one of the ones in the book oh really yeah no, i, I just saw this that. last week or she wants credit or i don't know compensation compensation yeah some acknowledgement and compensation for it so that's I thought was really interesting cuz I was like wow that was one of the things that was so striking about this book is how creative it was and if it turns out she was really basing it on a which um,
0: game was it the farm game? Well the farm game no. was like the Farmville but was no, it, like no, the no. it one? No 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 it was the
1: one about with the sea creature or something. No it was it was the first one I believe I could be wrong don't quote me on this. I think it was the one about like the Nazis or the the oh okay. that very first game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll have to double check that. I've read the article really quickly, but I think that, I think it was that first one. Yeah, that was a very distinctive. It was distinctive, so distinctive. So it's possible I have that wrong. So I don't know. If you're listening, please don't quote me on this. Maybe for our next show, I'll report back. Or you're going <laughs> to Nicole's <laughs> reaching for her phone. <laughs> She's googling. So um, what was I saying? I was saying that creative, the creative part. What's interesting to me is that I actually do not think that empathy was on high display in this book. If anything, I found the characters a little cold Mm -hmm. and I found the relationships between the characters a little hard to believe sometimes because they, they did feel so cold. So there were some times where I felt like I could kind of get in their heads and understand their motivations and sort of believe the, the passion between them or the, the, the strong feelings. But generally the book left me a little cold and that's why I had, I had issues with it. And, you know, I'm sort of, I'm sort of surprised that it made the list in at all, but that it, it, I I think the part of our analysis that looks at longevity and is this book going to be around in five years? I think this book will stand the test of time and that's maybe what pushed it onto the list for me. Hmm. So I think, If you decide to vote for this one, I would say, please sort of think about the criteria for this and and ask yourself whether she really succeeded in what she set out to do. And for me, empathy really being like in so much of the guiding force behind this list, I'm not so sure she succeeded with that. Okay, what have you found out? I didn't see it. Oh, you don't see it? I did plagiarism and I did suit. Oh, okay. See what, you do your number one book. And
0: while you're doing that, I'll <laughs> see if I can find it. Okay. So my number one book is Harlem Shuffle by Colson Whitehead. It is about a man, Ray Carney. He is, once again, can I just say my top two books are so similar <laughs> in kind of overarching theme where there are these two men who are like barely holding on to being like work, working class or lower middle class, they're just like holding on by their nails and they just both concentrate on how difficult it can be, you know, in, in this area, in this specifically to be a black male and to be able to hold on to your position just because you can have run-ins with the police, you can, you know, lose your income in a way that can be hard for you to recover from when you don't have... The ability to go to to banks. So it's all they're all these both of these books are just kind of like the precariousness of these black characters being able to provide for their families without resorting to crime in order to keep like some semblance of either working class or middle class life. So Ray is an upstanding furniture salesman. He likes to think of himself. He is really valued in the community. He has a loving wife, he has two children. And he is the kind of guy who is basically not doing himself any favors, because he's always extending credit to his clients who come to see him want to buy furniture, like he's always willing to work out a deal for them. So every now and then his cousin will drop in with a package that he doesn't ask too many questions about. But he acts as a go between in order to like fence whatever it is that his his cousin comes to him with. What I will say, and I'll say this too about the other book because I forgot to mention it with a Blacktop Wasteland. Both men have fathers who were involved in the criminal element and disappear from their lives under mysterious circumstances. So there's kind of like this obsession with this the father figure and the connection with the father figure through a life of crime. So in this one, Ray's cousin steals something that is like, not people who are going to let it go lightly. And Ray becomes involved in like this big scheme in order to, you know, not be identified. He's trying to save his cousin. He's definitely trying to save himself. I think Colson Whitehead sets out to make that, point like of how precarious it is just how having an upstanding life being middle class is so important in this black community in 1960s Harlem but it can't be maintained without resorting to criminality and he paints such a good portrait of Harlem at the time just the culture the different Groups and their relationships to each other. You know, Ray trying to please his wife's family, you know, because he has married up. His wife was like more upper middle class and the father and mother really don't approve of him. So he is trying to keep his head above water. He has aspirations to move to a different part of town where, you know, the houses are nicer. He goes and he he looks there as he's dreaming. So it's too about kind of striving and the American dream and like trying so hard to keep that within your grasp. And he does such a good job of painting this world that Ray gets involved with, with. You know, he's got his family life and what his wife thinks he's doing and who in his head, he is really trying to convince himself that he's just this furniture salesman and just every now and then, he, you know, just dips in a little to this other side to make ends meet. But he has to discover who he really is like, who, who, what's his true nature and how will that align with his life? And can he make a life, you know, by indulging both sides of himself? So this book, you know, so much was going on in the beginning, but he does an excellent job of weaving it together. And I found out that it's now going to be. A trilogy like there's a second book coming out mm. this summer so Ray's ventures will continue all right here's
1: what I found out it's not quite as clear-cut as I made it sound but there's a woman who created a board game called train and it is about it is about is it like the factory yes the object of the game is for players to fill a box car with tokens and get it to the other side of a board. But players eventually read cards informing that the tokens represent Jews and the boxcars were headed towards concentration camps. So it's clear that there is some possible inspiration for the the game Solution, which was one of the ones that Sadie develops when she's an MIT student. And apparently Zevin has gone on record as saying that Train is a source of inspiration in her life, not necessarily for this book, but she has said that. So she, this Creator is just wants to have at least been credited. Mm-hmm. She's not even money. She just and apparently her husband, also a game designer, is mentioned in the book. Oh, as like an early influence. And she's like, okay, so my husband's in this chapter. Why aren't I in this chapter? And then there's apparently a whole section which I don't even remember reading at the end in the acknowledgements where she talks about all the games that inspired her. And she's like, well, just just mention me. So yeah, okay. especially
0: since that particular game. I mean, yeah. If I had heard that, I mean, it's so similar because it's just like, you know, moving the widgets or doing something with them and and you find out that the faster and more efficient you get, the more people you're killing. Right. So we'll link to
1: this article in the show notes so that if you're interested in reading, it was in the Washington Post. I just texted it to you. That's the (laughs) beep you just heard. We will put this in the show notes. So if you want to read about it, you can. Okay. so So tell everybody how they can vote.
0: So we will have a link in the show notes to a Google Doc where we will list the pairings. And you can vote for, you know, whichever one you feel like fits the criteria the best, according to statements Gail and I have made. So we are looking for what did the author set out to accomplish? Did they accomplish it? And is this book timely? Will it stand the test of time? Will we want to read it in five or ten years? Right.
1: Okay, so our next show will be down to
0: four pairings. This was a lot today. Right. This is a lot today. The next show we'll probably just tack on at the end. Yeah, right. And then we'll do that eventually. We'll keep going
1: until we get to our winner. Who won last year? Rose the Napolitano? Yeah. I didn't mean who between us two. (laughs) You did. What book? Not (laughs) not which one of us. The winners are the books, not, (laughs) not us. All right, so... Thank you for tuning in to our special live edition, live in the studio edition of The Readerly Report. And until next time, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about the reading life. You can also find Nicole at nicolevonia.com and me, Gail, at everydayirritethebookblog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks.